Digify Africa and Black Conversations. Good evening to all who have joined us. My name is Kakaza Mwari, the CEO of Digify Africa, um, and I will be your host for this evening's conversation as we explore e-learning on the continent. Now, the emergence of what is now known as the Fourth Industrial Revolution in 2016 accelerated the discussion around um, the creation of a sustainable digital economy on a global scale. Since then, several initiatives have been made to provide opportunities for young people. This month, Digify Africa examined the ways in which these innovations, policies, and community involvement have affected e-learning on the continent. Tonight, we take a look at where we are in terms of e-learning as a continent. And later on, we'll also be opening up um, the discussion to the floor. So if you do questions or comments, please do uh, request to be a speaker and you can be part of the conversation. Now, in tonight's conversation, I am joined by four amazing guests. We have Dr. Linda Mayer, who is the head of operations at UNISA. Uh, good evening, Linda. Thank you for joining our panel. Uh, good evening. Just one correction. I'm uh, the head of operations for Universities South Africa, which is the body that represents the 26 public universities in South Africa. Apologies. I am actually going to blame that on a long day because it is written quite clearly here, University South Africa. Apologies for that. Thank you so much for joining our panel tonight. Our next guest is uh, Linford Moraudi, please do correct me if I've pronounced your surname incorrectly. Uh, he's a lecturer in ICT Enhanced Learning and Project Manager for Creative Coding at the University of Johannesburg's Faculty of Education. Good evening, Linford. Are you well? Good evening. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm well. Thanks. And thanks for the invitation as well. Awesomeness. Next up, I am joined by Kirsty. I hope. Okay, I'm not seeing her as a as a speaker, but I will introduce her because hopefully then she'll be able to uh, join the conversation. She's a writer, educator, and founder of the Training Room Online, which designs and develops innovative, tailor-made e-learning material. Uh, Apiwa, please do let me know once Kirsty, once you've been able to assist Kirsty in in uh, in joining the conversation. Um, my last guest for the evening is the principal of the University of Cape Town's online high school, Yandiswa Kakaza. Good evening and welcome, Yandiswa. Good evening. Um, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much to all of my guests for uh, joining me. My first question was going to go over to Kirsty, but I will move over to Linford. Um, your research interests involve ICT integration in education and how mobile technology is being used in What are some of the results of this research that you have been um, conducting? Where would you say we are in terms of digital integration in our classrooms? Um, well, I think we still have um, a lot of work to do. Uh, but the lot of work that we have to do, uh, I don't think it's based on accessibility of the technological tools. It's based on our perceptions and the behavior of those who are supposed to teach. Because the most of my findings and observations, as I have also trained teachers and, uh, and the leaders in schools, there are sort of preconceived ideas about what learners can do or cannot do. And we have a tendency to forget that we have a different generation that has um, quite huge access to the technological tools. What they need is just us to trust them and um, give them the exposure to these tools and show them how to use them for educational benefits. So we, we are still far in terms of changing uh, perceptions, but we are getting there gradually through the initial teacher programs. And it really is good um, to see, apologies, hope you can hear me. Um, it really is good to see the work that is being done um, to take us one step uh, forward. 
when now it comes to I mean, uh, bringing digital into the classroom is one thing, but turning the classroom into a digital space is something else. And so I turn to Yandiswa uh, to speak about UCT's online high school. Now, since opening last year, you have been the talk of the town with everyone curious about the how, what and the where. Could you briefly walk us through how the school operates from day to day? Yeah, so UCT Online High School is, it's an online high school in the sense that there's a virtual community of teachers, learners, guardians, school um, support coaches, tech support that interact with each other on a daily basis and the space is created for that virtual interaction. So there's a community Um, and it's a learning platform uh, in the sense that you can learn anytime, anywhere, and there's there's a high level of flexibility that is not found in your traditional brick and mortar schools. Uh, but this does require quite a lot of self-discipline and intris- intrinsic motivation on the part of the learner. And in terms of day-to-day operations, you know, learners, we've come to learn actually that they have to have the discipline to wake up, log in. Um, and we have every morning we've got uh, check-ins. They've got check-ins with their support coaches at a certain time. And that's really just there to make sure that they are up <laughs> and they are ready for the day and they get some motivation to start with their work. Um, all of their work is on the platform itself. So we track them very closely. What are they doing? Are they completing um, their modules, are they completing their assessments? Um, and, and because it's a data-driven school, it's very easy for us to pick up where they are falling behind and then pivot quickly um, where we see problems. So that that's a, in a nutshell um, really how, how the school works. Now, definitely looking forward to hear more about that as a continu- as a conversation continues. I think, I mean, what you're speaking on uh, touches what Linford had spoken about. You know that that change in perception and just how we approach learning. And I mean, the same goes for for your learners. As much as we have also um, had to sort of change our mindset with the working from home, I can imagine it's even more challenging um, for 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 people at a younger age or maybe even easier as, as as digital natives, but we'll definitely get into that a bit later. Um, now from high schools, I move over to universities. Uh, Dr. Mayer, now when we think universities, we often think of very big traditional institutions. And so I'm really keen to find out how the growth of e-learning has impacted um, our, our tertiary institutions. Are you seeing any changes both in how education is delivered uh, to the learners as well as the curriculum and the content that is being delivered? What what impact would you say digital is having on or even off campus? So I think we've, we've learned a lot during the COVID-19 uh, period and specifically around uh, digital learning modalities and hybrid delivery. So within South Africa, we have as our student population, 35% of our students that study uh, in the virtual mode or the hybrid uh, modality. And if we look at our university population, which is approximately 1.35 million students in the higher education sector, we see that uh, in terms of the uptake, that 35% of our student population is currently studying in the digital or the virtual mode. So certainly, it is an increasing space uh, that, that is exponentially being invested in, and certainly we are harnessing those capacities. UNISA, for example, uh, has almost 380,000 students, but all of the universities are mindful that to grow the academic program, to invest across the academy, we need to embrace this, this new te- technology moment. We... we you know, within, within our framing, uh, we know that many people use the, the terminology of the fourth industrial revolution and really be in the, on the cusp of the fifth industrial revolution. But critically for us, as, as we reflect on this, is to understand that this really is a new technology moment. And that if we don't move with the times, we will be left behind in a global uh, competitive frame where we are. But we are also critically mindful of the impediments that that we are faced with. So when we speak about 
digital learning, it presupposes that somebody has a digital device, also that they have access to data, that they have electricity security, uh, that they have an opportunity and a space to study. So all of those critical impediments we are not, we must not lose sight of as we advance this. But instrumentally, we must be mindful that we are part of a global community and that we need to ensure that we optimize the efficiencies to advance the knowledge project. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. I could not agree more. Um, I think whenever we talk about change and any change that comes, um, it's really important for us to also think about the various stakeholders, as you've mentioned, um, and really ask ourselves the questions around how prepared are they to embrace any of the change. Um, I'd like to start with Linford on the topic of, of, of upskilling our educators. Um, in 2021, Zimbabwe introduced the Rapid Teacher Training Program, an online course to equip teachers with skills to teach online. Now, the Creative Coding uh, Program that you run at UJ does something quite similar for teachers in primary schools. Please could you tell us a bit about that program and the importance of digitally upskilling our teachers? Okay, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we, we have this program called Creative Coding at UJ Faculty of Education. And how it started was, um, you know, in our teacher education programs, we, we have um, an ICT in education modules. Those modules are dedicated at teaching the upcoming teachers on how to teach with technology in different contexts. So when lockdown started or COVID-19 hit the whole world and students went home and things like that, some of our students, I think it was third year students, were faced with um, stress, isolation and anxiety. And then they came to us, they were like, look, since we are not doing anything academic because um, the institutions closed completely, um, is there any program uh, that you can establish so that we can deal with our anxiety and, and things like that using technology? And that is when we started informally a Scratch Coding Club. Um, so the, the Scratch Coding Club started, um, I mean, um, was intended at just, um, you know, addressing their anxiety by that time while they learn how to code and and enhance their creative thinking skills. And then the feedback that we got from them led to the formal establishment of creative coding at UJ Faculty of Education. Um, so currently it has five components. That's the Scratch Coding Club for um, our pre-service teachers and then um, creative coding for teachers offered free of charge um, to teachers in South Africa. So it doesn't matter whether the teachers are in high schools or primary schools. And then we have short learning program on um, creative coding and robotics for teachers. That is where we take a deep dive into the practice and the theory. So in creative coding for teachers, they do hands-on experience on how to code and how to teach with coding. But our primary um, uh, focus is not on teaching how to code, it's teaching on, uh, it's, it's about teaching competencies for a changing world. And we focus on four of them, that's creative thinking, critical thinking, collaboration and communication. And our programs are, are, are focused on that. Then we, we teach those skills using coding and we teach teachers on how to teach those um, um, with coding. So the short learning program takes a deep dive on the hands-on experience and it balances with the theory so that they can understand the theory behind our strategies and the theory behind uh, the choice of uh, coding and robotics kits and platforms and things like that. And then um, the last one is the research that we are conducting on this. So we are also doing research on um, the experiences of the pre-service teachers and the experiences of those of the in-service teachers as well. So that's basically what we are doing. And uh, yeah, we've made quite a great progress uh, so far. It started in 2020 and we are currently on our, we, so we offer about two programs per, per year. So yeah. That sounds really interesting. But before I... Um 
ask a follow-up question. I do see that uh, we have lost Yandi Swa. Um, please, could I ask that you request to be a speaker so you can be um, join the conversation again? Cool. I see. I see you're back to 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 being a speaker. Thank you, uh, Linford. I just wanted to follow up on that and just get a sense from uh, you in terms of how is this being received by the teachers? Are you finding that the teachers are 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 receptive to it and really open to the new ways of teaching and also new new content that they're taking in? Oh yes, definitely. We 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 are taking a very different turn on how to teach uh, these programs because. Uh, many of us have um, were teachers before we came in, and um, I had much experience in the um, resistance of teachers in learning new skills. So there were different strategies that we normally used, especially on the elderly teachers. And um, interestingly, we thought maybe this robotics and coding programs would be joined by uh, the younger teachers in majority, but it's actually the elderly teachers due to the strategies that we have and how we advertise it. So one of the issues that I remember um, an educational specialist called when she wanted to join this program, she, she asked, um, you know, if we are still going to use the same strategies that they were used in their training because they've been trained, but they still don't know what to do. They still don't know how, where to start and how to support teachers. And my response to her was that we don't treat you as a, an education specialist. Um, we know our programs as teachers, principals, HODs, deputy principals, and quite a lot of people in the education sector. What we do is we treat, we, we treat uh, uh, there are components of teaching them how to code. That's where we treat them as if they were the learners in schools. Um, you know, one of the things I always ask is, I will always ask them to borrow as their young selves so that they can get the experience of what the learners would feel when they learn these programs. And then from there, we look at pedagogy on how they should teach this in schools or how they could teach this in schools. That is where we focus on the facilitation uh, uh, strategies. And um, the just one of them, one of the strategies that we are using, every session is divided into three components, which I think always makes the teachers to want to come back to code with us. It's the social session, social session is intended at um, at, 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 at checking up on teachers and their mental health, you know, just to check up on them. That's where we dance together. We make jokes. Uh, we give each other motivations just a few minutes before we start with the formal program, 20 minutes before we start with the formal program. And we have the rear scratcher. The rear scratcher is the hands-on experience. That's where they divide in different groups and each group has a facilitator. And these facilitators are highly trained. And then we've got, we have reflection uh, uh, sharing and reflection session. They come back together and then they share projects. They comment on each other projects. And to show that teachers accepted this quite well. Um, when we had our pilot piloting project starting with the in-service teachers last year, um, at the end of our program, they actually didn't want to leave because they, they said they still want to be part of our programs. They felt like we were family and they belonged to the family and they developed this hashtag, our Saturdays will never be the same because they are conducted online on Saturday. And that is the reason we actually brought a, a new uh, project for them called UJ Associated Creative Coding Clubs. So those who graduated belong to the UJ Associated Creative Coding Clubs. This is a community of practice for those who... Um, established clubs in their communities and schools and require support. So they belong to this club and then uh, they don't have to leave us anymore. We, uh, so they become part of us forever. So the acceptance has been quite great. That is really encouraging to 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 hear because I think you know teachers are so so fundamental um, to the digital adoption within the classrooms. So it's really amazing to hear the work um, that you that you are doing, and especially then um, even more encouraging to hear about the reception from from the teachers. Um, I'm quite keen to take a view uh, from the learners' perspective. So I return to you, Yandiswa, um, just to hear more about. 
some of the techniques um, that you have employed to help students and even parents, I think, make that transition from um, attending, you know, regular uh, or attending school within the regular setting uh, to doing so online. What are some of the techniques that you've had to uh, bring 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 on board? Um, so we we've got a compulsory orientation week um, as part of the onboarding process, where we get learners just to get a good sense of what is expected of them, what are the basics, um, fundamentals from a behavioral um, aspect, but also from a technical aspect. What what must they know? Who do they reach out to for help? Who's their first point of call? Um, basic computer literacy, where to upload stuff, where to get, you know, how to use an email. Some of the things we take for granted, right? Because we've been working um, using computers for such a long time or working online and we assume that kids would be able to do it but it's things as basic as just sending an email um, sometimes are not that clear not to all learners at least so that week-long orientation is really just there to make sure that we give them as much information as they need and we have adapted it um, when we started it on the 10th of January when we onboarded our first set of learners and what it looks like now because we would have identified gaps that we did not think were there um, but that are evidently there and we would include those aspects. So that's one element um, and on an ongoing basis there's still issues you know there's still and that's why we've got quite a big um, technical support team that is there for the purpose of attending to any learner queries, misunderstandings. Um, you know, we have cycle tests, we have exams, and you can imagine, and exams are proctored, you can imagine the drama that goes around that. Um, so we have a lot of support, a lot of human support, and that's what makes the model work. Um, without that element, um, a lot of the kids would really be just lost in the sea of, of online learning. Um, but we've seen a lot of growth in terms of their comprehension of what needs to be done and what needs to happen. And they're, they're super tech savvy. Um, and, and that's why we believe that we're actually hitting two birds with one stone, um, you know, with the online modality of learning because there is a digital divide in the country. So you can imagine that if a child joined UCT Online High School, not knowing how to work collaboratively on a Google form, that's part of the work. You know, we're not directly teaching them, but we've got to teach them if, if they are to succeed in an online learning environment. So um, whilst we are doing the academic work, we are also actually teaching them a very strong um, digital skills and computer literacy skills that, skills that are very necessary for them to be productive um, human beings. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Yandi. So now before I head back to Dr. Mayer with my next question, I would like to invite um, any of our listeners uh, to be part of the conversation. If you have any questions or comments for any of my guests, uh, simply click the request button um, and you will be made a speaker. Um, while you do that, though, I can continue with the conversation um, and go back to, to, to Dr. Mayer actually touching on something Yandi so has just mentioned around the digital divide. I'm interested in hearing more on um, how well institutions are doing with dealing with the issues um, like digital divide and the lack of, 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 of optimal digital um, infrastructure for their students. Uh, what kind of solutions are needed from, from, from which sectors to really address the challenge at hand? So thank you uh, for the question. Universities have done a lot and University South Africa has invested a lot uh, with the Department of Higher Education and Training to ensure that there is digital access on all of our campus. The challenge obviously occurs when students are having to study away from campus and they are in rural areas. So really, this is about the the digital divide in access to rural areas. If you think about it, uh, for our students to travel to a specific node or to send their CV, some of them have to take four or five taxis and it can take them half a day to get uh, to a computer, which really is what we witnessed during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
So from universities' uh, sides and with the BHET, we have worked hard. 50% of our students uh, are NISFA students. All of those students have access to, to digital um, laptops that we make available to them through the NISFA system. But also many of the universities have programs where students can uh, utilize a laptop that is afforded to them and they have an option to buy and return those uh, specific things. The, the other thing is we've made huge negotiations and inroads with the MNOs around data prices and also zero rating most of the, of the educational websites that our students need to access. Now, most certainly we have a very, very long way to go, but for the university community, we are also mindful of the increasing constraints that we face and therefore we are working closely with uh, public-private partnerships to see where we can optimize uh, digital access, also to ensure where the digital divide is, is patently evident uh, in some of our university campuses that where areas are still really being subjected to, to unfair treatment and long delays in, in digitizing the environments and having data access, that, that we engage critically with government, that we engage critically with stakeholders to do what we can to advance that particular agenda. So really, uh, we saw that, that during COVID-19, you would have heard the, the call from the university community and from USAF to get our students back on campus because we were ill-equipped to deal with that. And certainly, we are much better equipped now, but we, we must be mindful that we still have a significant way to go in terms of the broader digital access uh, economy and digital divide that still plagues our nation with uh, you know, a very low percentage of households having uh, data access. So we, we are pro and engage constantly with uh, providers to see how we can uh, make broadband and, and, uh, and uh, you know, 5G, et cetera, available within, within rural communities to assist our students. Thank you. Yeah, and it is, it is very clear that it's definitely going to take a multi-sexual um, sort of effort and approach and a lot more collaborative um, effort between all of the stakeholders in order for us to meet the demand um, and to be able to, to, to address the challenges that we have. Um, again, I'd like to welcome any of our listeners who would like to be part of the conversation uh, to please request to be a speaker. You will then be um, added um, as one of the speakers and will be able to um, ask any question or add any comment um, for any of the guests this evening. Um, I don't see any uh, who have joined in as speakers right now, so I will um, move over to, to, to Linford. Again, just um, looking at our schools and looking at our teachers, what more um, can be done and should organizations like Digify Africa, who I mean, we work with, with, with teachers and actually um, are now working with the Department of Education to really ask the question of how can we better support our teachers in school in order to get um, sort of that digital transformation going. From from your perspective, having interacted with the teachers, what do you what what kind of programs and interventions do you believe are necessary um, for our educators to really get them ready for for this change? Um, I think um, some of the things that I identified in certain programs um, that are offered by different organization or and and institution is the lack of planning on the direct impact of the programs on um, pedagogy. What many of us do is when we want to teach teachers um, a, a technological tools, we go through with the training, we plan the training on a technical perspective. In other words, if you are teaching a computer scientist or your compute, your 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 teaching um, an IT uh, person, or people in the technical industry, you find that the program between uh, those designed for people in the technical industry and the teachers is not really different in nature. And what we need to understand at all times is.
teaching on its own is another it's 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 another realm we need to plan on we plan on the curriculum what we are going to teach but we also plan on the facilitation stra- strategy from a pedagogical perspective in other words we need to um intentionally and i'm i'm saying the word intentionally or purposefully so that in your strategy it appears clearly that you planned to enhance teachers pedagogy the teachers must see clearly and directly how the program that we are teaching them is directly related or is directly helping them to teach the uh, learners in the 21st century it shouldn't be vague after the program has been completed in terms of how am i still going to teach um, as i said one of the um, uh, curriculum advisors or senior education specialists called and said we went through multiple trainings but if you were to ask me how do do i take this to the teachers and how do i help teachers to take it to the learners i still don't know so i was given only the technical skill but the pedagogy is still vague so we need to do that and uh, we need to invest in um uh, the facilitation strategy and in terms of how to empower teachers to teach with the technological tools and when it comes to the teachers we also need to help them move to a level where they can accept that things have changed um there is something that we said i think even when i was still in high school um it, it was said the south african uh, um schools don't have technological tools there's a lack of access there's things like that and there uh, in many cases when i hear someone says there's lack of access there's lack of this, they treat it as if lack of access they said in 2010 is still the same as it's still at the same level as the lack of access um in 20 uh, uh 22 so when i was still doing my masters i actually did some sort of research on mobile technology and i didn't i i wasn't a fan of going into the classroom and asking learners do you have mobile technology do you have this or do you, don't you have that i would ask i would say okay we i have someone who wants to talk to you via whatsapp and things like that um can you please give me uh, your whatsapp numbers so once you say do you have a uh, 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 is any uh, do you all have um uh, uh, smartphones nobody is going to raise up their hands um, uh, even if you come right now let's say for instance one of us asks um uh, do you guys have smartphones i won't even raise up my hand what if you want to give us a uh, 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 new ones and we know that we still want new ones so we don't raise up we just say it's not there but once you start in- by engaging them you'll see how many learners are actually going to be in those platforms and with principals i also did the same thing when they said no we have 60 learners but only 10 of them are in our whatsapp group then i asked them who is in the whatsapp group they say all teachers are in our whatsapp group i said no but that's the problem how you planned it is the result of uh, the learner uh, acceptance or the learner uh, attendance in those things then i said the same learners you are saying that they don't exist they are actually joining groups of kangelani sibia your school is in limpopo but they are joining groups of kangelani sibia who is in kzn that means that there's not seeing any necessity of involving uh, uh, of being engaged in your own platforms but they saw value in the platforms of someone who is in kzn can we still say can we still conclude that our learners do not have access at that moment i think we need to reach a point where we do not underestimate the power of technological tools that our learners have we need to move from they don't have access to say yeah quite a number of them don't have uh, access but then how can we help you know so mm. i think the change in perspective and the fact that we shouldn't undermine or underestimate the intelligence of learners in the rural village there are certain cultural practices that if those practices are converted into or are used into technology you will see how those learners thrive because they thrive even way before we come we we came with technological tools so there are many different ways that we can do we need to change our mindsets and we also need to help teachers uh, change their mindset in terms of integration of technology in the classroom
And I think that that's such a such a main phrase from today's conversation. You know, really, it's 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 about a man, a mindset and a perception. Um, I I also really appreciate your your use of the word intentional when we are building our our strategies. And I think conversations like this are really useful in that we're able to share learnings, you know, um, and share best best practice and uh, to learn from your experience as we then continue to build um, our our own strategies. Um, I'm going to move over to to my final questions uh, for 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 Yandiswa and uh, Dr. Mayer. So to Yandiswa again, just looking at um, you know learning from from your experience, I'm quite keen to find out what 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 is next. You know, from um, UCT online high schools from this first year or um, yeah over uh, a, a year now of, of its inceptions. What are some of the lessons uh, that you've learned um, that you would maybe give as pointers to any high school that is wanting to sort of adopt a lot more of an online approach um, to, to, to their delivery? Um, and what can we expect from, from, from UCT online high schools in the future? Um, that's such a nice question because it's a teaser. We have a lot um, coming, um, but next week we've got news. Um, so watch the space. Um, we, we're really growing into, into this. We think there is a visible need. Um, a previous speaker said that we would be left behind um, globally if we did not embrace online learning um, and other digital um, ways of being and of learning. I mean, life is online. We live online. We are here gathered today online, right? So um, what we've learned, though, as a school uh, is that kids are not intrinsically motivated to learn. Um, very few are, of course, but generally they're not. They do need a bit of a push. They need hard deadlines. Um, they need strict measures. And you can't leave them to their own devices. So we, we, we've learned very early, actually, that we can't just let them be. We actually need to put um, measures in place. Um, we've also, I mean, learned a lot. Our, our problems are different, right? In an online school environment, we've got nearly 5,000 learners and it's a huge school. And you can imagine the type of, you know, discipline problems that you would have in a brick and mortar. You quickly attend to an issue, you address the learner. Our set of problems are rather different and we are learning as we are implementing on UCT Online High School and how do we how do we respond and how do we build a culture? Um, how do you even build a culture on in an online environment, right? So we've got these very big um, questions and problems that we are we, we are solving. And some of the things we would have never imagined coming up that, again, you know, we, we, we're learning on the spot, on the go, but it is learning that is necessary. It is learning that must be done. Um, it is not, you know, the problems we're coming across are not so big that, we, we, we would drop everything and say it didn't work out um, because, you know, the world has moved and the fourth industrial revolution is upon us. It is a necessary way of, of, of teaching. It's an alternative. It's not the only way. It's, it's, it's not the absolute way, but it is certainly um, an alternative that will fast track us. Um, so, yeah, I think and we've explored and seen um, plenty of opportunities. We've had plenty of requests from our customers to explore other areas within the online um, learning space and some of which we will be announcing next week. So, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting space to be in. It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of problem solving, but it is problem solving that we are happy um, to solve. So, yeah, that's that. Those are my parting shots. Thank you so much for that, Yandis. And I'm really glad to hear that you are certainly not giving up. And if anything, I'm just more inspired um, to 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 keep exploring um, in this space. We certainly will be keeping our eyes peeled um, next week uh, and our ears on the ground just to hear um, the exciting news that you have just uh, teased us with. Um, and I'm also really happy to see one of our listeners who has joined as a speaker, which means you have a question or a comment. If uh, you would also like to be part of the conversation, please, all you need to do is just request to be a speaker. 
just as uh, Mac Duke has done. And uh, we will move you over to speaker and you can be able to unmute yourself and uh, ask your question or throw in your comment. Mac Duke, thank you so much for joining us this evening. What is your question or comment? Um, thank you so much, um, Black Gold. And thank you so much, um, Digify, for um, creating this platform so that we can share ideas to secure the future. Um, so I just have a bit of a, a few comments. And um, just to mention, I'm also a Digify educator myself. So um, being in a platform of like-minded people makes me so excited. So um, um, digital, digital, um, the digital skills are important. Um, for Africa, because um, today, if you don't have digital skills, you're economically vulnerable, meaning that um, digital skills can secure us and can secure the future. So now imagine if we were to incorporate digital skills in, into the classroom, digital learning into the classroom. Um, one thing I like about digital learning into the classroom is it appeals to to different learning styles. Um in, in such a way that um, kids who have different learning styles could 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 present their learning styles to translate if they have learned something. Like if somebody could be visual or artistic, they could they could translate the content through infra, infographics, through drawings, so that they can demonstrate their capabilities in understanding the content, which might be a really um, good benefit. So somebody who likes to listen a lot, they could actually incorporate um, podcasts, um, they could incorporate um, 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 digital classrooms and so on. So it really gives us the power. And also um, the digital learning, it's like you have you have you have the world in the palm of your hands. Um, for somebody who has an entrepreneur who has digital skills, they have the global community on the palm of their hands. For an academic who knows who has digital skills, they have an unlimited library in the palm of their hands. For somebody who maybe wants to figure out themselves, they have the biggest opportunity right now on the palm of on the palm of their hands. Like now, what we are having is we are sharing tremendous value. And you could find out that somebody could be in Nigeria, somebody could be in UK, but we are sharing this tremendous value without leaving our, uh, without leaving our rooms or the comfort of our homes. So digital learning could really be uh, that much big of an opportunity. It also improves um, collaboration and it, it prepares children for the future. So we know that as a nation, as a, as, as a continent, our future is much more secured in the hands of children who can understand and who can translate and who can be part of this economic revolution of the digital transformation. So that would be my, transform, um, my um, submission for now. Thank you. I will yield the mic. Thank you so much for that contribution, Mac Duke. It's always really great to uh, hear from our trainers. Um, now, Mac Duke is one of our Elise Willam trainers, and we uh, train in um, schools nationwide, educators and learners on internet safety um, and, and, and just critical thinking as we engage online. Thank you so much for uh, joining our, our, our conversation this evening and just sharing um, some of your experience from from your training on the ground. Um, I believe that is our last question from the audience. So I'm going to move over to my closing question, which goes over to uh, Dr. Linda Mayer. Um, and also just throwing. We have one more from the audience, Kelly. Oh, fantastic. I see Gile is now a speaker. Gile, uh, please could you uh, feel free to ask your question or throw in your comment from today's conversation? Yeah, um, I wanted to actually ask Gandisa from UCT Online High School. Um, firstly, I wanted to ask you what a large, I mean, 5,000 students is incredible. Are they all from around Cape Town or are they from around the country? Um, and then secondly, what have you put into place to help students cope with challenges like load shedding? Because it is the ultimate South African challenge. Um, yeah. The ultimate South African challenge, indeed. Um, so, yeah, it's been a struggle. We've, of course, asked them to um, get alternative um, 
power supplies and all of those things that we've all been doing as, as South Africans. But uh, load shedding has had an impact and continues to have an impact. So we have to accommodate that. Um, most of our kids come from South Africa. In fact, um, with data that was shared today, most of them um, are from Gauteng not Western Cape, followed by Western Cape, then Durban, Eastern Cape. But we've also got um, quite a good representation of SADC, um, of the region. We've got a few in Canada, UK, um, and across across the world, um, Dubai. Some of them are parents who live abroad. So, yeah, it's a broad spectrum, which is beautiful because then, you know, they interact and they chat and they share their worldviews and their lived experiences and they get to expand their minds because they are friends with people who are not like them, who don't have the same, uh, who don't come from the same backgrounds. It's so interesting, actually, to hear that because I think, yeah, I mean, um, it's 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 easy to assume that actually, with it being a UCT high school, that uh, a lot of the participants are from the Western Cape or even from South Africa. And it's really amazing to hear that it's 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 now able to be an international cohort. And I remember, um, I mean, we used to run our programs, a digital marketing bootcamp, as face to face. But as many uh, institutions had to, we had to move our programs to online. But what that allowed us to do is actually pilot a Pan African cohort, and so. We we had um, Digify Pro, uh, a digital marketing bootcamp with participants and speakers uh, and trainers from South Africa and Nigeria. And I think that, that is definitely by far one of the most exciting cohorts that we've been able to have. And again, it just speaks to um, all the amazing opportunities that digital does uh, present to, to all of us to really break the borders and the, and the, and the barriers that we have between us. Um, I also have another speaker from uh, the audience, um, Tsonga Ambassador. Please do feel free to uh, unmute yourself and contribute to this evening's conversation. Tsonga uh, Ambassador. Mr. D drops, I believe is the is the handle. Um, are you able to hear us and to unmute so you can uh, participate in the conversation? Okay, seems like we might be having some technical issues there. So I will move to um, my final question, going over to uh, Dr. Mayer really just uh, throwing forward, you know, and really uh, thinking about the strategies uh, that we that we that we can come up with as a continent. Uh, what would you really like to see more of coming from the continent when it comes to how we explore this world of e-learning? I think that uh, that what we really need to invest in is first of all in infrastructure, but secondly, that uh, this adapt adapted modality. So we spe speak about pedagogy, but really we need to start focusing on on andragogy around the way that, that adults learn because our students in universities obviously are young adults uh, and older adults. So really to harness the self-directed and accountable methodology of learning. And I think that um, as as schools such as UCT online evolve, that we will get a different cohort of students that will embrace the digital moment uh, more, more coherently and, uh, you know, with, with absolute um, invigoration of, of this different type of learning uh, construct. As a society, we, we need to do a lot more to ensure that, that we are globally competitive in America. They're already sitting with with over 50% of the of their learning taking place in a digital modality in this virtual and hybrid mode. Uh, in South Africa, we obviously lagging behind it at approximately 35%. So really what I would like to see is that we have these critical discussions that the policymakers uh, influence, because really this is about expansion. It's about making opportunities available to individuals that would not necessarily have had this 
not everybody can afford to go to university and, and there are limited spaces within university. So if we want to augment, uh, grow our skills base, we need to invest in this. We see that we have uh, the highest youth unemployment rate in the world at 63.9% uh, for the first quarter in 2022. But if we look at our graduate unemployment rates, we see that, for example, with degrees, that only 12.5% of degree graduates are in fact unemployed. And for diplomas, it's 23.2%. Uh, and, and we need to invest and make education accessible. And this is the best methodology for us to employ and to scale and to ensure that there are true transformational elements as we invest in access and equal access and uh, transformation and ensuring that that individuals are capacitated and that we have a return on investment for the money that we make available and that we that we invest in in our young talent in South Africa. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And I really do look forward to engaging all of our speakers uh, today further on this topic because I think much needs to be done. Um, and as we said, I think a more collaborative uh, approach to the work that we do would also be really important. Um, it really has been an insightful conversation that we had had. And I'd like to thank all of our guests uh, for your time and for your insights this evening. Uh, mostly, I'd like to really thank you for the work that you are doing in driving the e-learning agenda on the continent forward and making quality education more accessible to our people. Uh, thank you to everyone who has tuned in tonight and who has participated in the conversation. Please be sure to um, follow Digify Africa on all of our social media platforms to keep up with all the work that we are doing alongside our phenomenal partners and funders. Um, I hope all of you have enjoyed the evening as much as I have and that you continue to have a great one. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. And also thank you to um, my producer, Apiwe Bame. Thank you so much for all the prep and getting an amazing lineup of guests as usual for tonight's conversation. Thank you and have a good night. <laughs>